Hey everyone, welcome back to the Blessed Child Podcast. This is your host, Renee. So I have recorded this episode a few times already, and today is March 28th. I got a little bit sick, so I'm staying home, doing laundry, doing dishes, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to give it one last go. I'm going to try to record this episode and see if it's the one for publishing. So welcome to my space, everybody. Make yourself comfortable. Um, Before we dive into the eighth criteria of thought reform, the last and final criteria, according to Robert J. Lifton's blueprint on thought reform and the psychology of totalism, we're going to talk about a rumor I mentioned in the last episode, which was Hak Jahan married Jesus. Um, Apparently, the source for that is Sean Moon. I meant to say Sean Moon's rod of iron ministry loyalist that's where this information is coming from they are the only organization publishing the rumor i released in the last episode so i'm assuming it's some type of psychological warfare between the factions of the moonies for more loyalists or to cause chaos and confusion in the will to orthodoxy so that was that so let's go to The eighth criteria of thought reform, which is dispensing of existence. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty heavy one. I I don't know why it's taken me so long to uh, to talk about this one. I have noticed a few changes within me in the last couple of weeks. I've I feel like these last couple years, a lot of stuff has come to the surface about growing up in the Moonies and dealing with identity crisis and trying to find where I belong or where all these thoughts and emotions and feelings can be stored. And a lot of that energy was put into social media and connecting with other ex-members and trying to make sense of this collective story and this collective identity as like an ex-moony. But recently, and I feel like we've done the work together here on these last couple episodes, just with going through the eight criteria of thought reform, I feel like I've built myself a shelf. Like a pretty solid shelf where I can finally put these emotions and these feelings and these fears and these conditional behaviors on the shelf and really look at them. And I can put them away when I want to and I can pick them back up and re-examine them when I'm ready. And that's been really awesome. I have also noticed that I am getting more involved with my physical community here in Big Spring, Texas. I've been able to ask people for help. I've been able to take friendships a little less serious. Like before I built the shelf for all of my cult trauma, I used to look into every action somebody would take and take it personally. Or I used to look into everything someone said and and shred its pieces until I could no longer be friends with that person. And um, I've learned that through my conditioning in the church, I was raised in a place of fear. Hey, I'm getting a phone call. Let me pick this back up later. Hey guys, I'm back. That was a a nice little phone call from a a friend. Um, Okay, so let's go back to being raised in the Moonies with a lot of fear, being raised with a lot of fear. In the cult, there's a lot of fear instilled into you. There's a lot of guilt and shame that they're playing on. 
existential guilt and shame about spirit world and purity and God and heaven and falling and that your parents, that your lineage, that your family, there's all that guilt and fear there. But then there's also a fear of the outside world. And then there's also a fear of your own family. So instinctually, I knew I was in danger, not just because the church told me I was in danger, but I knew I was in danger because I was not safe in the cult. I was not safe in Gap. I was not safe in Champyong. I was not safe in my own family. I was never safe. So I had to be hypercritical and hyper alert at all times. But also I had to conform and comply with the movement so that I wouldn't be outed and put in more danger and put in harm's way even more obviously. So growing up Mooney, I was in a constant state of survival, of fight, flight, or fawn, constantly. And leaving the cult, I realized I didn't outgrow that conditioning. That conditioning follows me. Um, on OLT, I was trained to make sure I, I could outrun the police or out hide the security guards or I mean I was just really on OLT while we are being labor trafficked you're told not to let anybody catch you and to make sure that nobody knows you're affiliated with the Unification Church so you're taught to drop your product in a bush to change your jacket flip your jacket inside out drop your clothes act like you're shopping um blend in and do not be found <laughs> Like one time I snuck into a factory in Australia, like it was like a parts factory and I was, I snuck in through the back door through the loading dock and was selling chocolates to the workers. They were like, what the fuck are you doing here? And then like security got wind that there was a solicitor selling chocolates to the factory workers and I saw the security guard. I dropped my chocolate. That didn't work long. I got, I got the fuck out of there real fast. But anyways, I was taught to be very vigilant <laughs> in this labor trafficking cult of like outside people, people that could actually help me not be trafficked. Um, I was like, maybe that's like an off tangent. Maybe a better example would be like school counselor calling you down for problems staying awake in class. And you're like, no, I, you have to lie and be like, yeah, I wasn't at a lecture at two o'clock in the morning listening to my Lord and Savior, Sun Myung Moon in East Garden and you'd be like well I just couldn't sleep last night like you had to lie you couldn't tell outside people what you were really doing so it created this sense of like you can't trust anybody you can't reveal your true superpower identity or like your cult identity you can't like be honest and upfront and integrated as a whole person and that's how I grew up and then to layer the fear of outside people on you're also layering the fear of inside people on top of that so fear on top of fear you can't trust literally anybody like you couldn't show your real identity or your real face or the fact you know that you wanted to be human and like eat a couple extra bites of food and sleep six more hours than they would allow you to and date boys or girls <laughs> that you were attracted to um so you couldn't ever be yourself inside or outside so you're like really hyper vigilant and uh sometimes I say things and then I have to explain it further because I'm like oh yeah not everybody had my experience they don't know what I'm talking about so sorry for the scattered storytelling but anyways um Back to my main point is when I got out of the cult and I'm 33 years old now, I still had a huge sense of fight or flight or fear or fawn. 
um, on how to operate. My operating system was very deeply rooted in growing up, always looking for danger, never trusting anybody's intentions, not asking for help because of being a burden or also that you can't trust people. And I've realized that is deep-rooted conditioning from the environment I grew up in. And after building this shelf where I can put all this trauma and these stories and this confusion and the chaos of growing up as a Mooney, after I built this shelf with the eight criteria of thought reform and some solid psychological um, understanding, I feel like I can put it all on the shelf and be like, holy shit. Like, life doesn't have to be this heavy. I don't have to be this fucking serious all the time. I want to operate from a place of joy. I want to operate from a place of love. I want to operate from a place of, yeah, fucking faith. That that shit's going to work out. Faith, not in some extraterrestrial being or something that is, like, untangible, but faith in my fucking self. I want to know that I have my back because I do. I've been here this whole time and I want to live with laughter. I want to be happy. And that's been a new revelation for me. And I really want to share that feeling because I think it's so important to get back to being happy after leaving a fucking weird ass cult like the Moonies. And I'm not trying to be toxic positivity or have like spiritual bypassing, like, oh, God only gives you what you can handle. Like, no, none of that bullshit. Like, I understand there's a process wherever you are in that process. That's where you got to be. And that's okay. Accept that. That's fine. I'm not trying to bypass anything. I've done the hard fucking work. I've gone through all the emotions. I've processed all of that shit. And that's okay. And I will go back to processing that shit at some point. But right now, I just I just want to live, y'all. I want to be happy. I want to be who I was when I wasn't being controlled or confined or conforming to some bullshit demand for purity standard in the Moonies or any other cult that I've accidentally been a part of. <laughs> like I said I'm a little bit sick today so anyways that's what I wanted to leave y'all with um before we jump into the eighth criteria of thought reform which is dispensing of existence and it's a pretty serious one it's the eighth criteria of thought reform these are pillars of thought reform all eight of these categories are needed in order to create an environment of totalism if you want to read along we are going to go back into the book we're going to go back to page 433, Dispensing of Existence. So when I was reading about dispensing of existence, an image came to mind. And it wasn't just an image, it's a memory, a muscle memory came into my mind. And what that muscle memory was, was every day in GOP when we would go down to the prayer room because every fucking Mooney establishment has a dedicated room for re-education, which is prayer room, to redevote yourself to the true parents, the cult leaders, the authoritarian figures. There's a prayer room. And every time you enter a prayer room in the Unification Church, men file to the right, women file to the left, and you must do a full bow to the parent, the picture of true parents, which is 
the cult leaders. A full bow, what I'm talking about is forehead to the ground, ass in the air, completely vulnerable, totally dedicated, showing absolute faith, absolute love, and absolute obedience. Full bow. And maybe not even just one, sometimes it was 40, sometimes it was 120, sometimes it was 400 bows. I remember one of my GOP unnies in GOP was doing a 400 bow everyday condition for 40 days. Because I'm sure she was confused, but she was obviously a convert and she was trying to work out her internal struggle and internal crises for being a leader in a authoritarian environment and having her own personal doubts. So she was only a year older than me, but she, I'm pretty sure she injured her knees um, doing 400 bows every night. Sometimes I would see her doing her 400 bows and I'd walk into the prayer room to ask God for to clarify whatever confusion I had because I was obviously confused and I would see her doing her bows and I would you know get contact high and do 40 bows instead of just my normal one bow but either way this is a muscle memory burned into me that really speaks about dispensing of existence for me in the unification church hey guys I quickly want to talk about the psychological responses to thought reform Robert J. Lifton made three categories so this is like an extra shelf on your book shelf to put your problems on so robert j lifton says there's three psychological responses and these three categories comprise of one obviously confused two apparent converts and three apparent resistors and i think that is such an interesting concept it's a very um it makes me feel relaxed (laughs) When I think of like how, why, why did I act that way? And Robert J. Lifton says there's these three categories you're either put into, but I think, in my opinion, you grow through these. Because I was born apparently obviously confused, like what the fuck is going on here? But I was open to influence. I was like, well, you know, I'll do the best with the information given to me. And my identity was pretty flexible, And then as I grew older, I hit 13 and I went to GOP. And when I was in GOP, well, I was 12, 13. When I was in GOP, I I got into the stage of apparent convert because I was a very, you know, as a teenager, your emotions are very polarized. You have a degree of totalism. It's either all or nothing. There's this black and white thinking like, you know, kids either hate each other. They love each other. They're best friends. There's no like gray territory. So with that natural and coming of age um, emotional polarity I feel like I fell into this apparent convert because then I was like super devout moony um, really bought into the doctrine and in that um, Robert J. Lifton says that the degree that people are influenced the degree at which people can be influenced and the degree of their identity that can be influenced uh, is really dictated by how much self-depreciating effects they have from guilt and shame so this is built into people this is their own gauge everybody has a different gauge of the self-depreciating effects of guilt and shame but I was very I had a lot of self-depreciating inner monologue of guilt and shame I took everything really personally and so that really helped me become more of a apparent convert because you can manipulate those people a little bit better and they'll they're going to do a lot to 
combat the effects of guilt and shame if there is a clear path on how to fight those effects, which is the doctrine and listening to the doctrine. The next is the apparent resistor phase, which I feel like I came out of the church as an apparent resistor. I was like, fuck this, fuck the church, fuck moon, moon's a fake. Um, And the apparent resistors also have a significant degree of totalism because now it's on the other side, which is an interesting um, observation. And... Robert J. Lifton says that none of these categories have a monopoly over the other. None of these categories is like the most elite psychological response to totalism. He just simply said that these are the three categories that he noticed of psychological responses to totalism. None of these categories have a monopoly on human limitations, strength, or courage. And I think it's just very interesting to know that a lot of the variables in in which category you fall into depend on your self-depreciating effects to guilt and shame, the inner balance that you have between flexibility and totalism, and your strength of identity or identity diffusion. So I think Robert J. Lifton says there's these three categories. I think you grow through them. I think you well, you don't have a pre-cult identity when you're born into a cult. And I think I grew through these three stages with whatever information was available to me at that time. I did the best with what I had. And yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because it's really interesting. If you want to read more, um, you can read basically what I just said on page 150 of Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism. But it really starts around page um, 87. There you go. Let's go back into the episode. And like when I went to Google full bow to your parents on Google, the Moonies have scrubbed the internet of any photo evidence. Like we all know we grew up in this environment. We always did a full bow. Every time we saw them, people were bowing to cars when they drove by. People bought pictures of them in the Chun Sung Young, Chun whatever in Champyong. Um, people bow to their statues. Like people are constantly doing full bows to true parents, quote unquote. Like morning, noon, and night. But for some reason, I couldn't find an image on Google, and that was just like, hmm, interesting. So they don't want people to know, I guess. Go, go find, go look, go, go try to look for a picture of full bow to true parents. Like there would be thousands of people doing full bows to sun young moon like this cult this is some serious shit anyways so that's that's the memory that comes to mind when i think of dispensing of existence now that you have a visual let's go into what it means according to robert j lifton uh totalist environments draw a sharp line between who has the right to exist and who does not possess that right who has the right to be recognized as a human being and the outside people. And we literally called these people outside people. It was like the church people. We had souls. We were on God's lineage. And then there was literally everyone else. And Moon had the power to differentiate the two categories of existence, being non-existence and then versus being real, being in the cult being a being a real alive human with real alive 
God, the God-given right to exist. That's what it is. And Robert J. Lifton says that in the cult, there are some polar emotional conflicts, and it is the ultimate existential crisis. Uh, in a cult, you're going to be given the emotional polarities of existing versus being nothing. So if you're in the cult and you agree with the cult and you comply to the standards of the cult, you exist. You have the right to exist and you can operate as a human being. But if you break those rules, those arbitrary rules of like not being like in in the Moonies, you're not able to have sex with anybody before the blessing or you're non-human, like you are no longer uh, pure enough to be included in any of the retreats or workshops. You're not really human anymore. So even that simple example of existence versus non-existence gives you the emotional polarities that were inside the cult that kind of define dispensing of, of existence. So either you comply and you have the right to exist or you fail to comply and then you are you are nothing and in that robert j lifson says that in the in, to, in the totalist environment even though even if they don't resort to physical abuse this emotional conflict and this emotional polarity of existence versus non-existence will stimulate a fear of extinction or annihilation in everyone and so it is very much abuse because if you're given the options of life or death for benign actions then you're being abused emotionally physically spiritually mentally it's abuse and when you have a fear of total annihilation it's do or die. It's the threat of do or die. And in the Moonies, we're not talking about do or die for grown adults who have a pre-cult identity. We're talking about for children. I remember my first do or die moment. I was five years old. I took the bus. A kid kissed me on the cheek. He said I had a secret. And, can, can, and I said, what is it? And he kissed me on the cheek. And my brother saw it. We went home and I got lectured for like, it felt like eternity on the fall of Eve and my responsibility as a woman to save my purity and that was full with full of evil spirits that were attack uh, attracting other evil spirits specifically boys who were trying to take my purity and corrupt me to satan's side and that was traumatizing for me so i had after that moment it was do, do or die stay away from boys or die and cause eternal damnation to all of my lineage from here on out and the weight of 6,000 years of um, history waiting on true parents to cleanse my lineage was on my shoulders so those that's a do or die and with that fear of total annihilation if you don't do you will die and cause harm to everyone that came before you and after you even though it's not physical abuse, it is abuse. It is coercive abuse. It is a threat to children. And that's a very solid point I wanted to drive home when we're talking about the Moonies. This is psychological abuse of children for the last 60 years, 60, 70 years. And it continues and it's getting 
worse. So that's why we talk about this stuff, to give people the language. And to counteract that savior complex that I have, gee, I wonder why, um, I have to talk about this because this fear of annihilation that was instilled in me young for benign life choices by a self-absorbed narcissist moon it lingers in me and continues to have complex influences on my everyday choices so I still have issues from being raised in this extremist cult with a do or die mentality so that's why I'm talking about this and I think it's really important to understand that that these early life experiences do linger on and echo through the rest of your life but do you want to live with them under the surface constantly having their silent influence on you or do you want to live with them out in the open and be able to shed light on these monsters so that you can better understand them and avoid them and change them right so that's why I'm doing this I believe and Anyways, Robert J. Lifton says people usually overcome these fears by digging deeper into their faith, I'm guessing. Um, ultimately, of course, one compromises. So he says when you're faced with the, the, the fear of life or death because of your choices, you're ultimately going to compromise and combine the totalist confirmation with your own independent personal identity choices um, you're probably not aware of them and you're probably aware that should you stray too far along with your own independent choices and your own personal interpretations of the divine principle, uh, you know that your right to exist may be withdrawn at any time. So he's saying that under extreme pressure, when you're given like the life or death options of complying or not complying, you're going to ultimately compromise and mix your own internal personal what's the word what your own personality with with the doctrine and but you will know like even though you it's, it's like being a dog on a leash like you know you know you're on a leash and how creative you can get is how long that leash can go but you know at any point that that leash can be pulled on and your existence can be withdrawn back into the cultic totalistic environment of your master so yeah that's a pretty interesting bit of totalism there's a lot more going on in here and I don't really have the bandwidth to read it right now so let me go back on a tangent because this book is fucking heavy have, have any of you guys tried to pick this book up it weighs a ton <laughs> the only reason I can get through it is because I'm reading it to you guys uh, I hope you do enjoy it, but it is extremely heavy. You know what? Let me talk about some other stuff. Um, in this book, I was reading a few of the interviewees' uh, testimonies that Robert J. Lifton documents. And like in a lot of these testimonies, and this is something I have not been able to say. So I'm going to try to say it without sounding like... Mm, I think it can be very easily confused with toxic positivity or diminishing abuse or saying you know saying everything happens for a reason 
So I'm going to be very careful on how I say this because I was offended when reading these words in this book. But I think it is important to say because I think there is some validity to it. So basically in thought reform, you're, you are challenged with confusion, guilt, shame, conformity, breaking yourself breaking the mold of your mind, breaking the mold of your spirituality and your creativity and your intelligence and just having to break yourself to conform or to prove that you fit in and you belong and you have the right to exist. And it, it's really challenging. It's a really challenging condition. It's a really challenging exercise to have to break your identity and then re- make and remold your identity every single day that you wake up you have to be something else and Robert J. Lifton interviewed these people who went under serious identity conformity and everybody that he interviewed according to what he wrote said that they got to know themselves more than they would have in their entire lifetime had this not happened. And they had serious personal upheavals, I guess, that really gave them insight into the depths of who they are and who they could be and their potential. And I hate that because I don't want to say, I don't want to be those people that was like, yeah, you know, I learned so much. <laughs> Uh, I did fucking learn so much about myself growing up in the cult, but I lost a lot of myself being born in that cult. And it's true. I wouldn't be here talking to you today about the weight of totalism if I didn't go through it myself. And I guess there's something to be said there. And maybe that's what the survivors in this book are talking about. And if you've been reliving your cultic memories over and over, trying to figure it out, I want to give you a piece of comfort that I read in the book. And it's on page 222. It's called Mastery and Integrity in the Chapter of Recovery and Renewal. So Lifton states that when Westerners returned home from their thought reform, they often embarked on reenacting highly disturbing experiences. And it's related to what Freud calls repetition compulsion. It's an effort in which uh, Eric Erickson described it as trying to gain mastery or, quote, the individual unconsciously arranges for variations of an original theme which he has not learned either to overcome or to live with, unquote, and deals with the stressful situation by meeting it repeatedly and of his own accord. So I think that me doing these episodes and reliving these traumatic experiences in the Moonies is an attempt of mastery and integration of self. So I want to read just straight from the book for you guys because it gave me a little bit of peace about why we are doing what we're doing. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a bit of repetition compulsion in the search for integration and mastery. 
So here we go, page 223, quote, As it is also true of people put through many other kinds of painful experiences, the subjects were reliving their thought reform as a means of coming to terms with it. Their experience involved special emphasis upon problems of shame and guilt, and it was these emotions which which they had in some measure, measure to overcome. Otherwise, they would be unable either to overcome or to live with their thought reform and unable to recover their self-esteem. We may therefore describe their psychological task as mastery through restoration of integrity. Unquote. So if you're wondering why you're listening to this podcast and why you keep going back into the Moonies, it might be this. It might be that you're trying to gain mastery of this chaos. You're trying to overcome the problems and the experiences you had with the guilt and shame of falling in love or losing your first love or losing out on opportunities as a child or losing out on self-love or losing out on parental love, unconditional parental love. And, and dealing with all those really difficult, complex, lingering emotions that live in our bodies. We're trying to gain mastery over it so that we can move on with integrity and integrate our, our wholeness into our identity. And I think that's really important. If you like that, you should read chapter 12 of this book. And that's what I'm going to summarize that on. I really hope it gives you some insight onto where you're at. All right. So, yeah, that's just something I've been wanting to say. It's been hard for me to say that, but being challenged the way I have been challenged in the Moonies and being able to make it out alive, because trust me, not a lot of people do. Not a lot of people do make it out alive. I guess I'm here to talk about it, and I'm ready to be happy, not in my experience of the cult, but I'm ready to like enjoy my fucking life. So I don't know what the future of this podcast looks like, but I think I want it to be a little more uplifting. I don't want you to have to do aftercare after listening to this episode. I want you to feel good about yourself. I want you to feel empowered that you made it this far, that you're alive and you probably know yourself and the depths of your pain and the peaks of your highs and your ability to connect to people and social settings, even if they're totalist environments and you're all singing kumbaya in a circle at two o'clock in the morning with true parents picture in the background. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But you do know what's possible. Like, I do know that it's possible for me to live in a van with eight people and survive on $5 a day um, for a year straight. Like, I do know that I can survive a lot. I can sleep in one room with 20 other girls in the Solomon Islands with it 110 degrees plus humidity and the shower, there's only one shower and there's no cold water. Like, I know what that feels like and I could survive there. And you know what? I could actually thrive there because to some degree we learned socialization and flexibility and what it takes to make shit work. And I am not saying you should ever do that for the benefit of one person or one family or one organization. But I'm sure if you're a Mooney, then you have lots of stories that you could tell that show the grit of your personality and show the grit of you just wanting to fucking be here and make the best out of it. 
and that's pretty cool. And with that note, let's end the eight criteria of thought reform. I hope this can be a place where we can laugh and feel good about ourselves and find solidarity that we've come this far. And with that, I want to conclude the eight criteria of thought reform. You are very welcome. Your therapist is very welcome. Your psychosocial health is very welcome. I broke it down for all you Moonies to apply a pretty solid structure of psychological understanding with your cult experiences. You're fucking welcome. Okay. And uh, everybody, I might be taking a break here because that was some heavy shit we just did like some really heavy shit um yeah so i will like maybe talk with y'all again soon but in the meantime take care of your mental health and uh you're welcome <laughs>